thoughts, views, beliefs, and opinions expressed in this program are not necessarily those of our affiliate networks. Welcome to another episode of the Shadow Initiative TV with Stephen Lancaster and myself, Rick Hale. Hey, Stephen, how you doing today? Hey, you know, pretty good. And there's two good. things I want to say before, okay. before we even get started. Number one, for you viewers out there, Rick and I did not plan to <laughs> be buttoned up today together, Okay. I always try to look as um, respectable as possible. That's what it, well, that is important to me. You know, unless unless I'm wearing like my typo negative or uh, you know uh, t-shirts and stuff like that. Yeah. I was telling my wife I was looking for my shirt and, and I get this and I'm like, well, you know, we we we've got Dale coming on the show. I gotta, <laughs> I can't have like Friday the Thirteenth written on my we gotta, shirt. You know? We got, we got, we have to, we have to do our hair and, uh, you know, I don't wear any makeup. I can't really talk for Steve, so. No, no makeup no. here. This is just natural beauty, Rick. This is natural beauty. <laughs> uh, the second thing was I thought I was flying this show solo. Okay. Today. <laughs> Why is that? I got on here an hour ago. Oh, I've done that. And I forgot. Oh, you know what? We're on a different time zone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting you're, here waiting. I'm like, where's hour ahead of me? I'm like, where's Rick? I was like, did I miss the memo? I'm checking Facebook, seeing if there's a message, and then it hit me. Yeah. So. It's you know stupid time zones. I think it's time to get rid of that. I, I would have been like Garth in Wayne's World when Wayne right. quit. And Garth just left sitting there in front of the camera, and he's like, uh, uh, not having a good time. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, you mentioned our guest today. Uh, we're going to be uh, joined by Dale Kazmarek, a longtime Chicago mainstay in the uh, paranormal community. Uh, if, if there is anybody who could say that they've done it all, it is Dale. He has definitely done it all. So this, we only have him for 45 minutes. So this is a 45 minutes that we have to make count. Exactly. And this, this gentleman, his, uh, he has a phenomenal reputation. He's a professional in the field, for those of you who tuned in last week. Um, Indeed. And his resume is just incredible. When, when I could only hope to ever have that kind of a resume when, when i saw I, you know correct me if i'm wrong but over two thousand cases you mm. know i i kind of felt impotent at that moment but then at the same because i'm a little over a thousand okay mm -hmm. and i thought man he's done double the amount than me but then i thought you know what that i am of... incredibly selective so that's why i don't have that many case that that big of a caseload underneath my belt i'm kind of a snob but proceed <laughs> but then i thought you know what that that's just tenor you know that's seniority yeah. the, the man's been at it 
before we were born, Rick. You know, so, since the seventies, at yeah. least since the seventies. I mean, I've been I've been following Dale since um, since the nineties. You know, at at least since the mid nineties. And it's funny because, you know, when I started. Um, investigating the, uh, you know, reports of ghosts and hauntings back in 1991, I honestly thought that I was the only guy doing this that didn't have a PhD attached to his name. Mm -hmm. Because the people that were doing it at the time were like, you know, Dr. Hans Holzer um, or, um, you know, others. And um, I thought I was the only guy. So when I saw Dale on an episode, I believe it was an episode of Sightings, mm -hmm. and then I saw him on uh, ABC7 News, I'm like, Wow, here's a guy just like me. He has no PhD, no doctorate, none of that kind of thing attached to his name. So yeah, it's cool that a person like myself can do this. Yeah, I, I agree. Because I, I, I at one point kind of felt the same way. Um, for a while, I considered going back and finishing my doctorate in psychology. Mm -hmm. You know, but then I thought, you know what does that really mean? You know, now, an unfair advantage that you and I have is the fact that I want to say up until 67, 68, I could mm -hmm. be wrong, um, but it was around in there. You could actually get a degree in parapsychology in the United States. Yeah, you could. I think Duke University was one of them. It was. It was. That's exactly what I was going to say. But then they, they did away with that program. Um, yeah. Whereas the UK, like we talked when we had Miss Ann Massey on, um, even though she's from Ireland, not the UK, you don't have to doll me about that again. Um, you know, the UK, that, that whole area over there embraces the paranormal. They, they have yeah. schools all over the place that teach this stuff. And, well, and... they have one of the oldest, um, well, actually two of the oldest paranormal research communities in the world, the London Ghost Club and the uh, Society for Psychical Research. Mm-hmm. Yep, you are absolutely correct. And do you know a little-known fact that I was offered but declined three honorary degrees from that research? Oh, is that right? Yes. The nice. band contacted me personally through my email. This was back in 2012. And uh, I'm thinking, what is this? Is this going to be one of those get your ghost hunting certificate on the internet scams, mm -hmm. you know? And he said he wanted to talk to me on the phone. So we, we set up a time, and, and he's like, yeah, we'd like to – we've been following your work. We'd like to give you um, – it, it was like a, a degree in demonology, a degree mm -hmm. in, in um, <clears throat> occult science. And, and I just told him I, I appreciated it. I, I was very respectful. I just said, but, you know – over that's going to mean absolutely nothing it's just going to bring more drama and more jokes you know yeah. and ammunition because that that's how the people think over here you know right right yeah it's uh it, you know um it is definitely a different way of approaching it um i know that in um in england they're they approach it on more of a uh, of a secular level without any kind of you know religious connotations involved whereas over here in the united states we um we attach that to it mm -hmm. um, i'm definitely more of that mind that i don't want to bring religion i don't want to bring politics i don't want to bring anything like that into it right um you know going back to uh, what we talked about a couple weeks ago with uh you know pair unity mm -hmm. I, I think that's important to uh you know to to uh kind of close those things off 
and just stick with the facts. Yeah, I, I agree. I absolutely agree. So, <laughs> just waiting around for our guests, man. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about you know what we're doing today. Um, typically, we don't do um, our segments when we have a guest. But since we only have Dale for 45 minutes, we are going to be doing a, um, a ghost watch. Yeah. yeah. I will be reading from my second book called Behold, Shocking True Tales of Terror and some other spooky stuff from uh, chapter three called My Favorite Haunt. And that is going to be about the f- world famously haunted Bachelors Grove Cemetery in honor of our guest who is going to be sharing with us a picture that somebody in his group took back in the early 80s. And uh, it is, without a doubt, one of the most amazing pictures that I have ever seen in my life. Yes, it's absolutely incredible. Just like we didn't even allude to it, we just said it last week. It Mm -hmm. is easily, um, excluding your evidence, excluding my evidence, it is one of the best I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, and just knowing it came from a credible source makes it even better. You know? Right. You you don't right. you wouldn't see somebody with the credentials that Dale has pawning something off that's fraudulent mm-hmm. and doing it for so long. Usually the, the frauds out there are your fifteen minutes of fame people. Right. You know, this is a guy who has a lot at stake. When it when it comes yeah. to reputation, um, I, so fraud, uh, it being fake in any way, has never crossed my mind. Never. Well, you know, I yeah, I, I think that he comes. Uh, I think he comes from the same school of thought that we do, that he's just not representing himself, but he's representing an entire field of um, inquiry, investigation, and research that is almost 150 years old yeah yeah well cool with that being said rick let's take a quick break take a break and shoot at this moment in time come back maybe do another five minutes before we get dale and uh we'll go from there so you guys stick around do you have proof of the paranormal want to see your story and evidence showcased on our show Email shadowinitiativetv at gmail.com with questions, comments, your paranormal stories, evidence of the paranormal, or just anything you'd like to see on our show. Your story and evidence may appear on Shadow Initiative Paranormal TV. That's shadowinitiativetv at gmail.com. I think that that is like a book that every single person should read in the uh, paranormal you know hans holzer is definitely a person that a lot of us missed out talking to yeah i agree there's i also have i don't know if you remember these um this whole series if i can get it out of here without destroying everything he but, just joined steven okay remember this series yeah of course i remember that series yep i got all those too nice joining us today from the southwest side of Chicago in the town of Oaklawn is Dale Kazmarek. Dale is the president of the Ghost Research Society. He is the author of Windy City Ghosts, Windy City Ghosts 2, Illuminating the Darkness, Field Guide to Ghost Hunting Techniques, and he has almost 
countless media appearances under his belt. Dale Kazmarek, thank you for joining us here on the Shadow Initiative with Stephen and Rick. I'm here now, guys. Can you hear me? Yes, hey, Dale. sir. How are you? Okay, fine. Fantastic. Um, you know, Dale, before we get started, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. It is an absolute honor being able to talk with you. Oh, appreciate it. Thank you. You're quite welcome. Um, are you on video or are you just going to be on audio? I have video chat here going. Okay. Um, so I just wanted to get started with, you are the president of the Ghost Research Society, one of the largest paranormal teams in the Chicagoland area as well as the country. You are the author of several books on the subject of psychical research, and you have countless media appearances under your belt, both local and national. Um, I guess the obvious place to begin is, how did it all start with you? Well, interesting story. Uh, normally, people that, I, that I've talked to in the past have had some sort of paranormal experience, which led them into the paranormal. Sure. Uh, I, I unfortunately had a, un, a very uneventful childhood, <laughs> uh, so it wasn't spooky at all. But uh, I will say that um, you know I'm 100% Polish as they come, and I was uh, my father and my mother and my grandmother who came from Poland used to tell me ghost stories when I was a youngster. Okay. And uh, there's a very famous story in Chicago about a hitchhiking ghost called Resurrection Mary that a lot of people know about. And yes. it, started, it started in the late uh, uh, 1930s, about the time my mom and dad were out dating. So it was a common occurrence for my dad to go out with my mom on a, dan uh, on a weekend, you know, a dinner, a dance, a movie, a show. Uh, then on the way back home, uh, they would ride her, well, he would ride around Resurrection Cemetery all night with my mom in the front seat trying to terrify my mom. Okay. And it was kind of these stories I was told as a youngster. So it really got me interested uh, at a very young age to try to pursue some of these stories that I had heard uh, in, in my childhood to see if these were true stories or not. And that's where that really got me started the paranormal. Right. Yeah, you know, I... I, I um... Much like yourself, I'm I'm also a native Chicagoan, and we absolutely love our ghosts and our ghost stories. It's a big part of our history. It's a big part of who we are as a city. You know, of course, going along with uh, deep dish pizza and um, <laughs> the yeah. longtime rivalry between the uh, between the Cubs and the Sox. Um, you know, speaking of Resurrection Cemetery, I've been to Resurrection Cemetery numerous times over the years. Um, do you can you tell us a little bit about Resurrection Mary, um, where this story comes from, and do you think that there's any truth to Resurrection Mary? Well, first of all, uh, there are a lot of these so-called uh, cemetery ladies or hitchhiking ghost stories, uh, sure. which are very often steeped in folklore and in, in urban legends. Uh, but I believe this story in particular has a lot of very uh, famous uh, encounters by people who had no idea that there was even a ghost reported there. Mm -hmm. uh, the story goes back to uh, the, the uh, about 1933-34, about the time the Chicago uh, Century of Progress exhibition of Chicago was going on. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a report, um, so the story goes, of a girl who went to a dance at the what was called the O'Henry Ballroom, named for the O'Henry Candy Bar. It's now called the Willowbrook along Archer Avenue. Yeah, it's gone Archer. now, right? I'm sorry? It's yeah, gone now. Right? It's, it's gone. It was burned down uh, several years ago. It's very unfortunate. And uh, 
she got into an argument with her boyfriend to get the hitchhike down Archer Avenue. Supposedly somewhere along Archer Avenue, she was struck and killed by a car. Now, within a few years after that, uh, people began to see an image of a girl with a long white dress, long blonde hair, kind of thumbing for rides along Archer Avenue. And she has been uh, seen literally by thousands and thousands of people. Um, in my book, Windy City Ghosts, it's one of the largest chapters I have, that in Bachelors Girls Cemetery. And I've come across so many reports, including a cab driver who in January 1979 stopped at the intersection of Willow Springs Road and Archer Avenue by the old Willow Shopping Center. Uh, he was kind of lost. He was trying to find his way back to the, to the airport. He saw a girl standing at the intersection, not at all dressed for Chicago winter, had mm -hmm. simply a little shawl draped over her shoulders. So he rolled the window down and he asked the girl if she wanted a free lift and exchanged for directions back to the airport. And she jumped into the back seat. She was no help with directions at all. She would just continually say, take me down a little further down the road or something to that effect. And mm -hmm. uh, the, the trip from there is about two, two and a half miles. And she was very quiet in the back seat until they got up close to the gates of the cemetery where she announced very loudly, uh, stop, this is the place. Uh, he turned around to see if she was meant by that statement. There was no longer a girl in the back seat. Uh, the girl had disappeared from the back seat. The cab was still in motion and the car doors had never been opened. Um, that story actually can be found on my website. I actually have the newspaper article from that year, that 1979 of that cab driver only identified as Ralph because he thought that all his cabbie buddies would make fun of him, uh, mm -hmm. thinking that he was uh, hitting the hitting the, 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 the south, uh, the sauce, I should say, and yeah. uh, you know, basically getting a little bit too old and kind of chiding him into retiring. but. It's a very famous ghost story. In fact, this, this was the very first ghost story, like I told you, that I had been told as a youngster, which kind of, you know, catapulted, you know, what I do today. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's um, curious. That's curious because when you were telling the story and to throw a date on it, Mr. Dale, now in the past, what, 50 years, that has become such a cliche in, in horror movies and in ghost stories, the... The hitchhiker you pick up that's not really there so it's you know it's interesting to kind of hear the origin uh, of, of that story yeah the, the interesting thing about this story is that um yeah how it differs from folklore and urban legend now normally i've read a lot of books on urban legends uh, john uh, john brunveld i believe his name uh had mm -hmm. put together a number of interesting books on folklore um, and, of course, hitchhiking ghosts are always in there. And when you read stories that normally people tell you that are urban legends, old wives' tales, or, um, you know, just, just spooky tales handed down from generation to generation, uh, there's usually no date involved. It's just a kind of ambiguous story about some sort of apparition that they've seen in the cemetery or walking around. Uh, here we have exact dates and times and locations and p eyewitnesses, which is quite different from urban legend. Right. Yeah, the, I remember the first time I ever went to Resurrection Cemetery, uh, some friends and I, we just got done seeing a show at uh, the Metro. So uh, you, there's like a bunch of uh, um, goths and uh, punkers walking around Resurrection <laughs> Cemetery, um, myself included. And... Um, one of the things that I that I that really struck me about the gates of Resurrection Cemetery, um, you could see what clearly looks like handprints 
on these gates. Um, they're no longer there. Uh, uh, last year, I went down there with uh, with a uh, with a friend of both of ours, Michael Kravchak, the Ghost Gadget guy, and um, those handprints are no longer there. Uh, can you tell us the story about how the ham the alleged handprints got? at our Resurrection Cemetery gates. Sure, that happened on the night of August the 10th, I'm getting an exact date we have, August 10th of 1976. A man was traveling past the cemetery uh, around 10 o'clock in the evening or so, uh, saw what appeared to be a girl locked in the cemetery after hours. Now that's very common for people to get locked in that cemetery. It's a very sure. large cemetery. Some people walk in uh, to visit graves, so there's not a car, so when they sweep, the area, they're looking for cars, and sometimes you can find a person uh, behind a tombstone you don't see, and they get locked in. So he thought there was just a normal person locked in. He went down to the Justice Police. About 10.30 in the evening, uh, Patrolman Pat Homa, H-O-M-A, again, we have an exact name for this Justice Police Department officer, uh, came up to the bars and began shining a spotlight, uh, calling on his loudspeaker for this unidentified girl to come out to the front and find a way to get her out. Uh, he found no girl, but then uh, shining a spotlight again around the gates, he noticed that several bars had been pulled apart and bent. Mm -hmm. um, they were, some of the bars, at least two of the bars, were they had, they had scorch marks as well as being pushed in and pulled out. Um, the scorch marks on closer examination looked so much like uh, fingerprints and skin texture, as though yeah. somebody had seared their handprints into the bars. Now, he went on television. He went on a show at that time called That's Incredible. I don't know if you guys ever remember that show. With, uh, of course. <laughs> uh, it's a very uh, famous uh, show, and it kind of made kind of tongue-in-cheek sometimes. But he went on, he told a story, and when he came back, he was fired, allegedly, by the, the Justice Police Department because his story went nationwide, drew so much attention to the cemetery that people were coming in at all hours of day and night trying to find the ghost. Right. So now the cemeteries, uh, this is in August, Halloween's right around the corner. They don't know what to do. So uh, they come up one afternoon with a blowtorch, and they literally just blowtorch the marks off the bars, yeah. obliterating what I believe could have been, again, I'll say that again, could have been possible physical proof left behind by a ghost. We'll never know for sure now. All that did was make the bars black and sooty, easily seen from Archer Avenue, and attract even more attention. So it kind of backfired on them. Right. Um, about a week before Halloween, those bars were hacksawed out, sent away to a mill to be straightened. And according to my sources in the cemetery, that people who had worked there, they were friends of mine, and I will never use their names because they'll get fired for telling the story. These okay. bars were shown to various copper and bronze experts a metallurgist and chemical tests were done on these bars. But what the cemetery said was simply a truck accident. They said a front end loader truck backed into their bars doing some sewer work and a labor <laughs> attempt to straighten the bars using a blowtorch and asbestos glove. Now, if you go to my oh, website, no. I have a number of pictures, including a video that somebody sent me that was taped in 1976. This was a mm. Uh, a Super 8 motion picture film, no sound, full color, that actually shows these bars. Um, I have several different examples of how these bars were, were bent by all different angles. Um, if it was a truck accident, truck backing into the bars would push the bars in, not pull some bars back out. It was kind of, sort of like a kind of a Superman pull, like kind of going in and out at the same time. 
Um, also, the initial uh, picture that I have uh, from, the, from just a couple of days after that show that there these were not scorch marks. These were uh, excuse me. These were not blowtorch marks. These were these were scorch marks, uh, mm -hmm. like little black sooty fingerprints. And um, again, you know that was not caused by a blowtorch. And again, an asbestos glove does not leave behind fingerprints. Right. So, I mean, their whole story kind of fell apart. It was, they were just trying to do anything. In fact, I don't know if you guys remember a long time ago, they had a show on WLS-TV uh, with Faggy Flynn and Joel Daly, oh, yeah. uh, who were the, um, uh, the, the anchors, and a very young cub reporter at the time called Chuck Gowdy, who is now a, um, uh, a, a major reporter for the show, uh, mm -hmm. had an entire week-long series called Ghosts and Curses, where he told, uh, actually interviewed one of the people from the cemetery, and they, they told that same story. Now, okay. from that time forward, eventually the bars were put back in. Uh, people began coming to the bars still because they were kind of black and sooty. They stood out. Uh, they find they tried several attempts to, uh, to straighten the bars and to uh, cover them up, including painting the bars green. But mm. instead of using a pale lime green, they used a, a hunter green, okay. a very like a Kelly green, and they stood out like a sore thumb. So eventually, all the bars were painted a golden color. Um, mm -hmm. So as you come out of the cemetery, you look to your right, you can see the bars that were the suspect bars because they were, you know, hacksawed out, welded back into place, and the wells beginning to crack and uh, peel. Now, just about a year ago, so maybe about the same time that you went to Resurrection Cemetery, I was with an afternoon tour that I just kind of, we don't go in the cemetery because really, you know, we just kind of just go in and we show the bars and we come back out. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, one of the bars is gone. One bar was completely gone. There's There were two bars that were um, hacksawed out. One was completely removed. Uh, I don't know the reason. Um, I talked to some people in the cemetery about that. In fact, I was visiting graves of relatives out there, and I got into a conversation with somebody uh, trying to get him to tell me about what happened to those bars. Right. And he wasn't willing to say much about that. So I don't know what happened. Uh, what I will say that it would be very unusual after all these years, since 1976, to suddenly discard these bars away. Um, yeah. That so seems awfully odd. I, yeah, I, I basically, I told the guy right then and there, I said, if those bars are still laying around somewhere and you guys don't want them, I'll buy them from you. You name the price. Because I'll put that in my museum here. It's kind of like the bricks from the uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. So with that being said, what we're going to do is, Dale, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, we're going to talk more about proof of ghosts when we uh, take a look back at one of the most amazing photographs that I have ever seen of a ghost that was taken by somebody in your group, the Ghost Research Society. So when we come back, we're going to be talking more to Dale Kazmarek of the Ghost Research Society and fellow Chicagoan. Uh, stick around. We have got a lot more show coming up, and it's going to be really great. Looking for unique handcrafted gifts or accents for your home, office, family, or friends? Check out Shadow Creations, your one-stop custom shop for one-of-a-kind designs for the eclectic mind. Unparalleled Creations by Christina. Like Shadow Creations on Facebook at facebook.com slash cflancaster. 
and stay up to date on her daily releases available to you and easy to find at etsy.com slash shop slash motley by christina shadow creations a little motley a little curious a little bit different browse shadow creations at etsy.com slash shop slash motley by christina and welcome back to the Shadow Initiative TV with Stephen and Rick. We are talking with Dale Kazmarek, longtime mainstay of the Chicago paranormal scene. Happy to have him here. So, Dale, before we were talking about proof of the paranormal, and I'm always really loath to use the word proof because that has some really strong connotations to it, especially when photographs are involved. And you've written the book. Um, field Guide to Spirit Photography. Now let's talk about um, Bachelor's Grove Cemetery. Anyone here in the Chicago area, or even in the United States, uh, paranormal enthusiast or not, can tell you that Bachelor's Grove Cemetery has a long time um, history of being haunted. Um, let's talk about your experiences that you've had there investigating the place and the photograph that, I, that was taken there back in 1983 of the white lady but first let's talk about who is the white lady and then we'll go with the photograph well we're not exactly sure who the white lady is uh the photograph that was taken um back in august of 1991 oh, uh, 91 excuse me uh that uh, we were actually out there doing an investigation with our group in broad daylight which again goes to show that you don't have to be in a spooky place at night with night shot cameras to get good evidence Right. Uh, it's kind of uh, these reality TV shows and, and thinking that once, once you think you have to be there at night, well, those but are there 24-7. Yeah. So uh, anyway, we were there doing investigation. Everybody was walking through with a clipboard in groups of two you know, with equipment, uh, you know, stopping at various locations along the way and uh, you know, just putting on the clipboard and on the grease. We had transparencies with grease pencils. Uh, any any impressions you had, any equipment fluctuations, anything at all, and we then later took those uh, transparencies, laid them on uh, on an overlay on a map. We we saw which areas, pretty much, uh, people were getting hits on, and again we kept the people spaced apart so one group couldn't hear what the other group was picking up. So I try to keep it as scientific as possible, mm -hmm. and several people picked up uh, on a, a checkerboard tombstone which had no name on it. Um, we believe now, possibly, uh, and this is only a guess, that the ghost may be a woman named Amelia Patrick, and I'll get into that story in a second. But okay. uh, we were going through there. We went back to those locations, again, where people had experiences. One of my team members, uh, Jude Huff, uh, had a 35-millimeter camera. At that time, there was no digital. It's 1991, remember? Mm -hmm. um, so she was using a 35-millimeter point-and-shoot camera with high-speed black-and-white infrared film, and I told her exactly how to handle the film, to how to develop it, the safeguards, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and we went to those locations, and she just snapped pictures. We tried other experiments. And um, then we went back, and we waited for the film to come back. And initially, when Judy was looking at her photograph, she didn't see anything unusual, uh, because the wide-angle shot um, way off to the left of the photograph is the tombstone next to a tree and you see this what looks like a little figure sitting on the tombstone 
Yeah. Um, it was it was easy to miss, I guess. And she put it aside, and maybe a couple of weeks later, she picked up picked them up again and looked at them, and then she saw it. And immediately she made an enlargement, you know, blew up that area, sent it to me. And lo and behold, what we, what we see on the on the photograph is a semi-transparent figure of a woman, you know, with long brown hair, sitting in profile in a long white old Victorian gown down to her ankles. Yeah. Uh, the, the unusual thing about this is that uh, part of her head and part of her knee is actually semi-transparent. You can actually see trees and bushes through there. Yeah. Now, that photograph has made the rounds all around the world probably by now. Mm -hmm. um, it was on uh, several uh, books that I've wrote, including Windy City Ghosts and Spirit Photography book. Uh, it also appeared in Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Tribune. I did uh, several uh, documentaries, including one for the Discovery Channel called Phantom Photographs, uh, where they tried I saw to, that. Where they tried to explain that uh, by sending it to this so-called expert in Kodak, and mm -hmm. uh, he, he explained it as way as <clears throat> he explained it as being somebody's actual real person sitting on the tombstone. Well, nobody was dressed like that in our group. This was summer. Everybody had shorts or blue jeans, short sleeve shirts. It was a hot day. Mm -hmm. And nobody st strolled through the area uh, with a long white dress. Like I would have, we all would have noticed that. He also went on to say that the, uh, um, it appeared that the person sitting on the tombstone was casting a shadow. Now, on closer examination, you can actually see that the woman, the tombstone, is completely already in the shadows of the trees. Right. So, therefore, she was not casting a shadow. So, he wasn't so called a so-called expert because he, he obviously he missed all this. Mm -hmm. um, myself and a, and a fellow researcher, Len Dorman, uh, who, is, who was on the scene for a long time, he now lives down in Arkansas has right. done a lot of research into that area. I don't know if you're familiar with Len Dorman or not. Yeah, actually, he's a friend of mine on Facebook. I've, I've spoken to him a few times. And nice guy. He, he actually, uh, I believe, he was the one who made the connection between the lady we photographed and Amelia Patrick, uh, which was, I believe, one of um, um, a Senator Humphrey's uh, wives who was actually buried at Natural's Grove Cemetery. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you uh, look at uh, some of the photographs that, we, that we've been able to uncover of Amelia Patrick, mm -hmm. and we don't have a facial of the woman because it's kind of a profile shot. I mean, it looks pretty, pretty close, pretty similar to that, um, that image. Now, uh, you got to remember that little checkerboard tombstone that she was sitting on was only the base of a tombstone. Uh, right. There would have been like an obelisk or something on top of that, which would have had the name, the date, etc., and that's been gone for decades. Uh, we yeah. don't know what happened to that. So there has been reports uh, before and since of a lady in white that's been seen in the cemetery at night, sometimes carrying a baby in her arms. Now she's been nicknamed uh, the Madonna or Mrs. Rogers um, mm -hmm. uh, because it was it was known that the, the another gravestone in the cemetery, D.W. Rogers. Uh, there was a baby that died in infancy, uh, so they, uh, and that's where that infant daughter tombstone may come into play. It's by the Fulton tombstone now, 
but I think it actually belongs someplace else, in my opinion, <clears throat> because a lot of people would go through that cemetery and just, you know, pick up tombstones, carry them around, take them home, throw them in the lagoon, vandalize the place. And that's one of the reasons I believe the area is so haunted today. So, I mean, that I photograph, that. Uh, I took a lot of heat from that photograph because they people would say it was a fake. So mm -hmm. some people said it was my wife sitting on there. Uh, <clears throat> my wife was with me, but she wasn't wearing no wedding gown. Um, <laughs> So it, it's just crazy, and uh, I still go to websites every now and then, and I'll, I'll, I'll see that photograph kind of like in the the kind of questionable fraud area, uh, yeah. which kind of makes me a little angry because I know I was there at the time that took place. Um, I have a long reputation for being, you know, a very kind of an advocate of the paranormal, and right. I would never have, you know, put my uh, credibility on the line just for one image uh, well see that's that's something that steve uh, steve and i were talking about on last week's show we were talking about professionalism in the paranormal field um now if it was anybody else but you and maybe a couple other people and they presented this picture to me and said oh hey look i have a full um bodied apparition here take a look at it i would be like dude come on but with somebody like yourself who is an advocate for the paranormal and obviously does believe in professionalism, I, I can't I can't fathom anybody who would say this is fake. Well, the other thing too that a lot of people just don't realize, that was taken with 35 millimeter. That was right. not taken with a digital. Uh, a digital camera, you don't have anything to hold in your hand. Uh, it's a digital format, it's a series of ones and zeros. Uh, so it, that goes onto your computer that basically, you know, your the cameras are like little computers themselves or processors. This generated a negative mm -hmm. and the, the image is on the negative. Now, there is no yeah. way that I know of, now, I'm, not a, I'm not an expert in photography by any means, but I've, I've seen tens of thousands of photographs. Um, you, to my, in my opinion, negatives cannot be manipulated. You mm -hmm. cannot, you know, if something comes out and it's on the negative, it's on the negative. Now, you can take right. a positive, the print, scan it in, then Photoshop it, and then save it again, and then print it out. Oh, I got a ghost on there. But then when yeah. you go to the negative, it's not going to be on the negative. In this right. case, this ghost is on the negative. The spirit is on the negative, uh, whatever it is. And so you have a piece of physical proof that you can hold in your hand. Yeah. See, you know, I've, I've been to Bachelors Grove several times, and I know how easy it is to take a picture, especially of the woods, and um, think that you're seeing faces, uh, bodies. Um, and of course, we call it pareidolia. I hate the term matrixing. That's a, that's a TV made up thing. Um, but one of the things that I do like about Bachelors Grove is, is that people do get a lot of great EVPs from Bachelors Grove. I myself visited there, um, it was about five or six years ago, I was there with an old colleague of mine, and I took an EVP in the middle, and you could clearly hear a man's voice say, let the mother effer feel the pain. Now, my wife, who has absolutely zero interest in this stuff, um, she listened to it and it, it sent chills down her spine. Now, one of the things that I think what happened that I caught this EVP was that 
this area was used as a dump. They, they say was used as a dumping ground by uh, the uh, prince of crime himself, Al Capone. Do you think that there is any truth to that, 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 that this was used as kind of like a place to uh, whack people and then leave their bodies? Well, you got to remember back in the 1920s, this would have been an extremely rural area. Right. Uh, there would have been very, very little, if any, homes down there. In fact, some of the original homesteaders, they came in around the 1830s, but they, uh, many of their homes, maybe 40, 50, 60 years later, were gone. Uh, and there's really no ev evidence. In fact, that's what Bachelors Grove got its name from, is Bachelors coming over mostly from Germany, mm -hmm. and some from Ireland, uh, settling this area called Bachelors Grove and, and putting up their homesteads. Um, I have not actually found any uh, documentation of that story of uh, people being dumped in there. But it seems like a logical assumption because it's a, uh, it just, it, obviously you've been there, a lot of people that have been the Bachelors Grove, they realize that you, you kind of like the Midlothian Turnpike, 143rd Street, basically, the, there's a little, like a little overpass or bridge right there, which is right next to the lagoon. So it's real easy for a car stop on the bridge, say in the 1920s or 1930s, when nobody's around, mm -hmm. toss a body out there, maybe even toss a firearm or something else. And there have been firearms. Uh, there are pictures in um, the Tilly Park Historical Society, uh, and not only pictures, but actually artifacts of old weapons that people have found out there in that lagoon, very rusty, um, right. probably dating back to at least the 1930s or 40s. Mm -hmm. um, so again, there's no, actual documentation of it but it, 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 it seems like it would fit the profile of, of where we're talking about yeah i mean i could definitely uh speak to the midlothian turnpike i don't know how many times i've been almost hit by a car um trying to cross that street from the uh, rubio woods um forest reserve so here's what we're going to do we're going to take a break and uh, when we come back i want to get your uh thoughts on um you know where the where the paranormal community has come and where it's going and what you as an elder statesman of this uh, community would give to a person just coming in um, to the field. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're still going to be talking with uh, um, Dale Kazmarek here on the Shadow Initiative TV with Stephen and Rick. So stick around and we're going to get uh, Dale's thoughts on some things. Every week, one out of four people miss the live broadcast of our show. But all is not lost. You can watch us and Shadow Initiative Paranormal TV on demand for free at youtube.com slash label13videos or facebook.com slash monstervisiontv. Never miss a show and watch when you want to watch. That's youtube.com slash label13videos or facebook.com slash monstervisiontv. So everybody, welcome back to the Shadow Initiative TV with Stephen and Rick. We are still talking with Dale Kazmarek of the ghost research society and lifelong mainstay of the chicago paranormal scene so dale we have we have talked about two of our most famous um 
um, cemeteries that both of us have been to, both of us have investigated. And um, there's one thing that I'd like to talk to you about. We've, you are, I would consider you to be very much an elder statesman of the paranormal community, the field, whatever you choose to call it. Um, back in 2004, we had a huge explosion of interest in the paranormal. And how were things different before what I call the great paraboom of 2004? How were things different then? How, where are we going today? And what advice would you give to somebody who is just coming into this field? Well, when I first started out, um, like I said, I've had a lifelong interest in ghosts all the way back to childhood. Uh, I was I went to the uh, uh, was drafted in the army from 1972 to 74 and was a chaplain's assistant. So I had exposure. Well, thank to, you for your service. Thank you, appreciate it. And I had exposure to priests that were very open to talking about ghosts because I was really starting to get really interested in my uh, uh, the latter teen years going into my early 20s. And uh, when I came back, and I, I, we, we founded this, this, this loosely associated group at that time called the Ghost Trackers Club in 1977. Mm -hmm. And I worked for five years as a research assistant before we, I took over and, and made it uh, called at the Ghost Research Society in 1982. And, uh, I began to, you know, collect stories and, and, and articles and, and, and uh, you know, reports, you know, through people writing to me. People don't write letters anymore. They send emails. But I had I opened up a P.O. box and people sent me letters and pictures. And, and I was on uh, bulletin board services. They used to call them BBSs mm -hmm. uh, long before the World Wide Web started. Uh, so it was really hard to get information from people. But I saw, you know, it was... When I first started, it was very much very hard to gather evidence and, and to get good evidence because there was no equipment per se. I mean, there right. was when I started out, I was using a 35 millimeter camera, a cassette tape recorder, and my EMF device was a compass. Yeah, I, uh, I still use compasses to this day. I mean, I'm, my first investigation was a pad of paper, a pen, a uh, actual analog recorder and uh you know just kind of sitting and waiting for things to happen yeah so i mean I, I we were i was quite lucky actually when i was working at 35 millimeter cameras and using sensitive films like uh, uh ultraviolet or you know tri-x film which is a high-speed black and white film which is sensitive to the uv side of the spectrum and of course infrared film we were able to get some very interesting photographs, not only at Bachelor's Grove, but at Hull House and other locations, which are just amazing. Um, I personally, I saw an the first explosion of the paranormal, um, because before this explosion I'm gonna tell you about, people were very quiet about their their, their encounters. I mean, they it just- very taboo. Wanna, yeah, you didn't wanna talk about that because if you talked about a ghost being in your home, you were branded as being weird or crazy or a yeah. candidate for the men in the white suits. So a lot of people just didn't, uh, you know, talk about that. But I noticed that in 1984, there was a big upsurgence of experiences. And that's the time that the movie Ghostbusters came out. And when Ghostbusters came out, in fact, I actually went to view uh, the movie for the first time 
by a reporter from the Southtown Economist newspaper mm -hmm. who wanted my opinion about the validity of these Ghostbuster guys, you know. <laughs> and uh, so that's how I discovered, you know, that. And I actually had a nice article written up about that. And, you know, I was sitting there at the end watching for the credits to go through because there's always technical advisors. And usually technical advisors, like in a war movie, it might be somebody in the military. If it's a paranormal usually it's somebody who's in the paranormal because they're advising yeah. how this you know how to make the movie more realistic um so i actually saw a big upsurgence of, of people coming out of the closet so to speak in 1984. uh people could then talk about their ghosts and maybe even laugh about some of their experiences because again not all ghosts were harmful they're mischievous they're playful yeah. uh, we didn't even used that much in fact i never even heard the term demonic probably <laughs> until the 2000s or you know when all these tv shows started to come out and everything was demonic i'm going you know i was yeah. kind of chasing after these casper type ghosts you know right uh, they were more friendly and just mischievous and people that had died and were hanging around uh so i mean this is where i kind of came from going from what you might call old school uh, to where we are today, where people, websites, uh, people like Digital Dowsing, Bill Chappell, and others, you know, they design, you know, devices specifically for ghost research, which is very refreshing because, you know, coming from nothing and then going to, to an area where you have to take some equipment that was used for other purposes and adapt mm -hmm. it, like K2 meters and cell sensors and ELF zone meters and you know, these are already just made to determine high EMF fields in your home, which could be dangerous, or microwave leakages and so forth. And ghost hunting teams started to adapt those and say, well, okay, well, ghosts have an energy. Maybe we're picking up that energy with these with this equipment. Right. And that's where that kind of came from. But uh, in answer to the last part of your question about you know people starting off in the paranormal, um, I, I've seen this since you know, since I've been in the field. And like when I started, um, I think I was the, I may have been the only ghost hunting team in the Midwest at that time in the, in the uh, mid 1970s. Uh, I mean, I could be wrong, but I mean, I think I'm, we may have been the only one. I think you're right. Uh, and um, since that, since like 2000, you know, even 1984, between 84 and 2000, I mean, I, I, there's literally, thousands and tens of thousands of paranormal groups all across the country yeah. um, and the thing I, I find kind of uh, well kind of strange is that a lot of these paranormal groups they're kind of like fly-by-night I mean mm -hmm. one one week they'll have a website up there they'll, they're doing stuff they have a Facebook page and then all of a sudden you search for them and they're gone because yeah. uh, it's so easy for people nowadays to uh, pick up a couple of pieces of equipment because I mean, there's several places you can go to get equipment paranormal wise sure. uh, you, you, you start a website you start a Facebook page uh, a YouTube channel and voila you're a ghost hunter uh, yeah do you know have some business cards and whatever and then you're you're, you're investigating uh, when I started out as I mentioned in kind of in my biography um, uh, autobiography I should say is that um, I worked for five years as a research assistant in this group that we founded with a, with another uh, fellow member, Martin B. Ricardo, back in 1977. 
So, I mean, I didn't just jump in with both feet. You know, I yeah. learned, you know, I learned mistakes. And even later on, I, I made mistakes. I mean, when the first night shot cameras came out and we, I didn't know any better. And we all were seeing, all, everybody was seeing these orbs floating around <laughs> a night shot camera. Well, hey, I we're made the mistake too. The orbs. <laughs> I made the mistake too that they were paranormal until later yeah. on I found out. Uh, but I corrected my mistakes along the way. And I tried to teach people uh, in workshops and the paranormal um, to to do the right thing. And that's why I wrote these books on ghost hunting techniques and, and also one in spirit photography for, for, for the novice, the intermediary, or the advanced person to kind of learn from techniques that seem to work well for us. Sure. Um, I'm in the process right now of uh, putting together uh, an eight to 10 week course that people can take um, through a Zoom session and uh, each week uh, learning about all aspects of the paranormal, from equipment, from EVP, photography, I mean, you name it, even talking about the early EVPers and the history of the paranormal. Uh, that's hopefully I'm going to be working on here in the next few weeks to finish that up. But uh, I always tell people that are new to the paranormal, uh, just like me, don't jump in with both feet. Uh, find a group, uh, search for a group that you believe to have some credibility in the field that have been around for a while. Again, I, I'll say, and I've always said it, I'm not an expert, and I don't believe there are any experts in the field. Uh, I just believe that there are people that have more whiskers, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> they've been around the block a little bit, okay? Um, and okay. maybe join a group like that, learn from them for a year, a couple of years, three or four years, until you kind of get the feeling of what this is all about. Uh, right. And then maybe, branch off and start your own group. Uh, I I'm so, could not I'm agree so, more. I'm so proud that a lot, so many people from my group um, have branched off and started very successful groups. Uh, and they, you know, they, 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 they kind of say that I'm their mentor, which kind of makes me blush a little bit. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a satisfying feeling that at least I know that people have been very successful that have been in my group that have branched off, that became authors, they, they, they were on television program, uh, they got notoriety in the field. And so I think that that's the, the best way for people to, to, uh, um, to start in the field, to start slow and kind of build your momentum and then eventually branch off on your own. By that time, you'll have a better understanding of what it is because uh, there have been thousands of people that have come through the Ghost Research Society since the late 1970s, uh, membership-wise. And mm -hmm. some people will hang on for 10, 20 years, and some people will, will go after one year. They just say, this is maybe not what I was thought it would be, or I can't handle it, or, or I get too scared, or whatever the case may be. Right. Well, okay, well, you know, I'm currently myself right now, I am unattached, but hopefully, you know, get back out there uh, very soon, as soon as the COVID-19 thing is done. So with that being said, Dale, just, you know, thank you so much for coming on and uh, giving us your wisdom. And uh, hopefully, you know, somebody had learned something uh, from what you had to say. So right now, we come to the point in our show where we must part ways, but we are big believers here in shameless self-promotion. So you have a couple of minutes to shameless self-promote. Tell us about your books, where they can find your books, and where they can find you. Well, they can find me at uh, the Ghost Research Society website, which is www.ghostresearch.org, ghostresearch.org. Uh, they can also find me on a Facebook channel and my profile, 
Ghost Research Society page. There's also one for our ghost tours we do called Excursions into the Unknown that we've been doing since 1982, the longest running tours in Chicago. Uh, you can also find my books. Uh, I have six of them, uh, two on Chicago ghosts, Windy City Ghosts 1 and 2, Chicago, um, different books on spirit photography, um, uh, ghost hunting techniques, ghost lights, uh, haunted highways and bridges. They can all be found on the website. And if you order from the website, obviously you'll get an autographed copy of the book. If you order it obviously through you know, Amazon or someplace else, you'll just get a book without no signatures. I always tell people uh, to order from the website, you can get a personalized copy. Uh, you can also find information there about things that we do, equipment we use, uh, investigations we've done, everything's on our website and it's uh, very if you got nothing to better do uh, better to do during this covid uh you can be on there for days and days and days uh, looking through the files that we have on our uh website ghostresearch.org and they are voluminous all right well thank you so much dale and you know i really hope that we can have you on again and we can have a little bit more time with you in the future um thank you so much for coming on the shadow initiative tv i appreciate it. Uh, you guys have a good day and thanks for having me Thank you, you too. Thanks. Thank you. Do you enjoy reading about the paranormal? Check out the highly rated literary works from us, the hosts of Shadow Initiative TV. Paranormal investigator Rick Hale offers you the geek's guide to the strange and unusual, poltergeists, ghosts, and demons. Bullets, booze, and babes, the haunted history of Chicago and Illinois. And behold, shocking true tales of terror and some other spooky stuff. But if you're thirsty for more, I bring you true case files of a paranormal investigator and dark spirits, a man terrorized by the supernatural. But if you want to go even further, dive deep into the dark reality of haunted dolls. Check out my paranormal bestsellers, Norman, the doll that needed to be locked away, and Norman too the true story of a possessed doll's revenge available at amazon barnes and noble and wherever fine books are sold i almost pointed that way almost pointed that way almost pointed that way hey guys and welcome back to shadow initiative paranormal tv with rick hale and that other guy stephen lancaster i'm sitting in for him today because um, he just talks way too much so when there's an interview no, he's out of here up. he is out of here when there's an interview what a fantastic interview i know i you know i i have i have wanted to talk to dale for a really long time in fact i had him booked as a guest on um, my old show uh that was out about five years ago it was called common sense paranormal and the show wound up at, uh, ending uh being canceled i felt terrible so it, so yeah it is um really awesome to oh wait, wait what are we doing here oh i just i just gotta get back to myself oh you got the metallica t-shirt sporting the metallica there yeah. you go so but, but yeah it, that was so good he's such a great speaker uh, it, right. It, it, the recount of his stories um, was just awesome. And you and I, Rick, I, I swear, are, are just way too much alike. Um, mm -hmm. Because 
I, I can't remember whether it was the first break or the second break. I had some things I was going to ask, and then bam, you just went right for it. Well, oh. <laughs> I, that that was exactly what I was going to ask him was his opinion on on the current state of affairs, you know, in the paranormal field and, and comparing it, um, you know, to years ago. And mm-hmm. he he made uh, and I think it's I, I, I don't know if you saw me smile, but, you know, starting out with that compass and that tape recorder, you know, you and I had that very conversation the yeah. first episode we did of this show. I still use my compass to this day. I mean, that that is awesome. Now, he did he did bring up a point that um, mm-hmm. I wanted to... If we would have had more time with him, I think I would have um, asked him. But, but and uh, I know you'll know at the point, uh, at what point in the conversation we were talking to him about this, uh, where, where he was saying... You, you know, he caught a lot of flack for that photo at Bachelor's Grove. Sure. And, you know, you and I kind of alluded to that uh, before we brought him on, you know, that we would never consider him uh, to do something fraudulent. But right. but that led me to this, and I guess what I'm going to ask you to bounce this off of, you know, the paranormal field in this day and age is literally set up so you fail. Because the and I'm not talking about the real paranormal researchers like you and me and Dale and Ann Massey and you know other people we respect in the field. I'm talking mm-hmm. about the other ninety percent. You know that it's mm-hmm. a fad too. That they they're they're worshiping the TV shows. You know they sure. they set you up to fail because they want to see this proof. Okay, yeah. like the photo of Bachelor's Grove, which is amazing. Here it is on the screen again, guys, if you're just now tuning in or just want to see it again. It's totally amazing. But when you present something like that, what do they do? They call it a fake. So they it's like immediately, immediately tear it apart. Oh, so what, what it's are your, so shameful. What are your thoughts on that? Because that's exactly what happens. They claim and claim and claim. Show me proof. Let me see what you've got. And then you show it to them. And it's a fake. What yeah. do you think? I think that a lot of people that are getting involved in the paranormal field, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making a broad generalization. I'm saying some. I think that there is um, kind of a problem with insecurity in this. I think you might agree. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody wants to be the next big thing. Everybody wants oh, to yeah. be the next big paranormal TV star. So they feel this need to tear apart, um, especially old schoolers like Dale and ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want to hear what we have to say. They don't want to be mentored. They want to, like Dale said, they want to get this equipment. They want to hit the field. And the next thing you know, they're the expert. Right. And it's like, man, you know, from 1982, when I had my first experience with with an apparition to 1991, when I did my first um, investigation, which was quite by accident, that was nine years from the age of eight years old to the age of 17, where I read everything that I could find on the subject and reread again, because even though I had the Chicago Public Library and uh, the library of um, Round Lake Beach, Illinois, Mm -hmm. I had both of those. There really wasn't a lot on the subject. So I had to reread, read, 
over and over again until I felt that I was comfortable enough to say I had done the research, I had done the learning, I had done the reading, now I'm ready to hit the field. And you know, that's what a lot of people fail to do these days. And they do, they put up the Facebook pages, they put up the Facebook groups, they get t-shirts made. For God's sakes, getting t-shirts made is not cheap <laughs> by any means. Um, so it's like, really, uh, to, to anybody that is, you know, new to this field, you know, take the time, get yourself established, learn, learn from people and learn from people that have been doing this a lot longer, because believe it or not, us old guys, we still have a whole lot to say. Well, you said it. And, and it's, it's ego with them. They, they are the generation of, I want it now and mm -hmm. instant self-gratification. You know, right. they, they don't want to roll with people like us because, A, we're going to tell them things they don't want to hear. Mm -hmm. We're, we're going to tell them ways of doing things, and that's not how they want to do it. There is no patience with – and it's not all of them, okay? Mm -hmm. But – because there are no, some – you know, there's some legitimate people out there. But for the most part, they steer clear of us because they don't want to be outshined. It's not really truly about um, oh the God, field. Yeah, I would and the I research. would never want to outshine anyone. I mean, hey, I would never begrudge anybody their success. Never want to outshine anyone. But yeah, there's there's definitely that insecurity there. To them, it's it's more about them than it is the reason. And and it's it's blatant. It's clear. Just just like Dale said, these people we and we've used the same terminology: the fly by night. You know, the fifteen yeah. minutes of fame. People they realize after putting a year into it, they didn't get put on TV. They're out of it. They're done with it. Uh, we've seen it a hundred times over just on Facebook alone. Right. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, something that is, um, it's all over the place. And I mean, I've, I've actually, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I actually had, this was when I was host of, co-host of Paranormal Underground Radio. I had a, had a girl send me an email because I had said, and said something that wasn't very nice about Zach Bagans. <laughs> I um, already. Yeah, you know, I, I really, I try not to bag on Bagans too much these days or any of the TV people because it just, it causes headaches for me. So, you know, she had actually said to me that, that I had no longer have a place in this field. I've been doing this too long. It's time to let people um, like Bagans and like herself um she was only 20 years old <laughs> at the time. So they, like, basically, I'm already old enough to be your dad. Right. So, you know, it's just telling me that I no longer have a place and I am actually a threat to paranormal unity because I don't like Zach Bagans. Hey, you know what? I'll admit two things right now. Mm -hmm. Number one, I am a threat to paranormal unity. Fuck paranormal unity. Oh, well, you know, you can see the crazy behind his eyes here, ladies and gentlemen. Number two, I am a threat to Zach Baggins. Fuck Zach Baggins. You know, he is actually conscious. He, he's actually conscious? Is that what I wanted to say? He, is, he actually knows who I am and has made it clear that he will have nothing to do with me. Yeah, well, you know what though, man. You know, pe people like us, we definitely run with a uh, with with a different crowd. 
of uh, of paranormal investigator and and paranormal and it's like you know like i said i don't want to begrudge anybody you know their success but take the time that you need to take to learn how to do this yeah you know you wouldn't just you know get a um get a get a pencil and a ruler and then all of a sudden you're a uh, carpenter or you wouldn't, you know, get like a monkey wrench and a lead pipe, and then all of a sudden you're a plumber, or you know, if you're a doctor or a lawyer, you take the time to learn your craft, um, and that's something that's definitely missing, I think, these days in the uh, paranormal community. I agree. With that being said, let's take a quick break. We've still got some time to kill on your Friday night here, folks. Um, we're gonna come back with a brand new ghost watch from yes. Mr. Rick Hale. I'm going to take a nap, like I always do, and <laughs> then we're going to him to death, ladies and, and gentlemen. And then we're going to talk about a few more paranormal things before we say goodnight. So you guys, stick around. Hey, my friends, check out my good friend Chris Beck and his work at All Around Art. From lifelike paintings to detailed sketches to phenomenal tattoo artistry, if you can dream it, Chris can bring it to life on canvas or your skin. His art has been showcased in published works such as the paranormal best-selling book Norman 2, The True Story of a Possessed Doll's Revenge. Visit him online at facebook.com slash allaround.art. We all have that one haunted place that we love to visit. That one location that is a very special place in our hearts and has captivated our attention for years. Either because of all the ghost stories or we had a personal experience that keeps us coming back for more. I have such a place, and no matter how many times I've been there, I just can't seem to get enough. As a native of the great city of Chicago, Illinois, a city that seems to have more ghostly residents than living ones, it's almost impossible to pick just one. We have everything from the infamously haunted Hull House, home to the sensational Devil Baby, to an open plot of land on the city's near north side, where in 1929, Several men were gunned down in a hail of bullets on the most romantic greeting card day of the year, St. Valentine's Day. And finally, we have some of the world's most haunted graveyards, where Chicago's most famous historical residents are said to walk among the chiseled tombstones. As you can clearly tell by the brief rundown of our many haunted places, it's not an easy task to pick just one. But if I had to, it would be a solitary cemetery on Chicagoland's far south side, a boneyard so famous, so haunted, few would dare to tread. The world-famous Bachelors Grove Cemetery in the Southside suburb of Midlothian, Illinois. I first heard about Bachelors Grove, or the Grove as we affectionately call it, when I was a kid. I remember reading about it in its many hauntings and became instantly fascinated by all the stories of ghosts witnessed by dozens in this small necropolis in the Rubio Woods Forest Reserve I have visited and walked among its silent grave markers so many times that I feel as if I could be on a first-name basis with its dead residents. 
It is believed that the grove was at first established sometime in the 1820s as a burial ground for the German immigrants who built the railroad. The majority of the hardworking immigrants were young, single men, leading many to believe this was how Bachelors Grove got its unique name. However, it's possible the cemetery got its name from a local family called Batchelder. For years, this small cemetery stood quiet, virtually forgotten by the residents of Midlothian. But that silence was soon broken when tales of ghosts began to filter out of the cemetery, leaving many with two questions. Who were these ghosts and why were they there? Numerous theories have been offered over the years to explain why the cemetery was so haunted. As with any haunted location that enjoys such a reputation, these theories ranged from the probable to the wholly bizarre. Throughout the 1960s and early 1970s, the Grove was believed to be a hangout for local hippies looking for a quiet place to get high and party. Although, this might not seem like a bad thing, other visitors to the Grove were not so innocent in their intentions. These visitors were much darker. Over the last 30 years, there have been occult paraphernalia discovered at the Grove. Altars spattered with blood of sacrificed animals were found, as well as disturbed graves with missing bodies. Many believe that devil-worshipping cults used Bachelor's Grove for arcane rituals, and it's these rituals that may have blown open a door between this world and the other, allowing the dead to cross over to our reality. Whether or not this is true is anyone's best guess. Another theory to explain the haunted history of this cemetery may extend much further back before the cemetery was established. According to legend, on a cold wintry night, a farmer who owned and cultivated the land grabbed an axe and, in an orgy of horror and bloodshed, went from room to room in his house and slaughtered his unsuspecting family as they soundly slept. When the farmer regained his senses and realized the horror he had just committed, he grabbed a rope and hung himself from a tree. This tree still stands in the middle of the cemetery, and some claim to have witnessed a ghostly body dangling from its branches. Over the years, many have attempted to find historical evidence to back up the story of the crazed farmer only to come up short. However, many believe that one of the Grove's most famous apparitions, a phantom farmhouse, is proof of this bloody tale. The farmhouse is seen appearing and disappearing in the cemetery as well as in the surrounding woods. It's said if you are able to walk through the door of the spectral house, it will vanish, taking the trespasser with it, never to be seen or heard from again. While the spectral farmhouse, where an insane farmer murdered his entire family, is a sensational reason for the hauntings, another explanation that it is somewhat more probable. In the days of Chicago's criminal past, reigning king of organized crime, Al Capone used the adjoining pond as a dumping ground for those snitches that he had whacked. Eyewitnesses have reported seeing the spirits of men in suits wandering aimlessly near the pond, which is nothing more than a murky swamp. When approached, these gangsters vanish. One spirit said to call the Grove home is the lonely spirit of a grief-stricken woman sobbing uncontrollably as she wanders the graves searching for the grave of her long-lost child. In 1991, a member of the Ghost Research Society, one of Chicago's oldest paranormal research groups, took a photograph of the apparition of a young woman sitting on one of the grave markers. The picture, now considered as the best evidence of life after death, has never been disproven. I myself have heard what I can only describe as the forlorn sobbing of a woman during a daytime visit to Bachelors Grove. 
A few years back when my longtime ghost hunting partner and I visited the Grove, I captured an EVP of a cold-hearted voice of a man saying, let that mother effer feel the pain. Did I capture a voice of one of the gangsters said to haunt this, haunt the Grove killing a snitch? It is possible, and it's this and other experiences that have kept me coming back time and time again. In my opinion, Bachelor's Grove is one of the most haunted places in the world. This has been Ghost Watch, and I'm Rick Hale. That was done on purpose because I wanted everybody to get time to like let that all sink in. Oh. Yeah, me... that was not a brain fart. Oh, okay. It, it, it gave me time to wake up. Yeah, I see that you were uh, that you fell asleep there in your Metallica yeah, t-shirt. I was I was nodding off. It's it's sad but true. So that selection was actually taken from my second book called Behold Shocking True Tales of Terror and Some Other Spooky Stuff, which can be found a little shameless self-promotion here, Stephen, at Amazon. And anywhere fine books are sold. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, Bachelors Grove Cemetery is definitely a favorite of any ghost enthusiast in the uh, in the Chicagoland area. So, you know, from one author to another, is it mm-hmm. is it weird to read from your own book? Yes. Like it's for okay. This is a perfect example. The reason I don't come into the chat room on when when we air this, um, it's because I can't stand looking at myself. <laughs> Rick, I can't stand looking at you, man. I mean, no, it's completely see, understandable. See, yeah, seriously, it's like reading reading my own material. Um, you know, I always I edit my own stuff whenever I write it, mm-hmm. and um, I have to really practice some self-restraint because if i don't i'm going to wind up ripping up and throwing away a lot of the things that i write so it's yeah it it is kind of weird doing that yeah i I was always wondering i don't know i've never read mine (laughs) so i don't seriously it's like i i do the manuscript send it to them and they'll come back with can you add a little bit more here or take this out or something like that but i have never literally the finished product taken one of my books and read through it yeah um and, and it's funny too because uh we we homeschool our son and uh here here it is right here he has actually read this book this is his copy mm-hmm. and he read through the whole thing loved it and uh i forgot that i had um used the uh, f word in there a couple of times and he's like dad you really have to use the F word when you write. And it's like, oh, my God, I forgot I put that in there. But, uh, yeah, you know, he's right. So I definitely will practice restraint in uh, using swear words in my writing. I use a few throughout the books, but they're certainly warranted, especially when you're quoting something else. Yeah. You know, when you're quoting something somebody else said or an EVP, I'm going to tell you exactly what it said, whether it's nice or not. Right, right. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. So you are correct in your question. It is weird reading your own stuff. Um, so, but that's, you know, but hey, you know, a lot, a lot of the uh, Ghost Watch 
uh, that is going to come from the stuff that I had written, that I had cool. specifically written, because that because I'm trying to keep alive the work of um, Peter Underwood, and uh, that's what he did with his Ghost Watch. He read this stuff that he had written. That's cool. Remind me after the show to tell you something about Peter Underwood. It actually has nothing okay. to do with Peter Underwood, but it kind of does. And you know what? Okay. Speaking of which, you have not mentioned my crystal skull, Rick. I was waiting for the uh, for the right time. That is that is definitely an awesome crystal skull. What are you drinking out of there? Is that Mountain Dew? Yes. Oh, okay. Definitely crystal skull worthy. I like that, man. Where do you get that thing? This this I found during an archaeological dig. This is the thirteenth skull. Oh, yeah. so you take the thirteenth skull and now you're drinking Mountain Dew out of it? Absolutely. Why do you think I'm so smart? I'm, I mean, come on. That belongs in a museum. <laughs> So, Rick, tomorrow, the tables yes. have turned. Uh-huh. You're not going to be a host tomorrow. You're going to be a guest. Why don't you tell our watchers, our shadows, our viewers. The shadows. The shadows. Why don't you tell them uh, about the show you're going to be on tomorrow? Yeah, I'm going to be uh, talking with uh, Terry Koenig on um, one Step Closer to Madness? That's Is that it. the name? That's yeah, it. One Step, on his show, One Step Closer to Madness. And, um, you know, I've, I've been a frequent guest on many, many shows, and it's something that I enjoy doing. So this is the first time that I'm going to be uh, talking to Terry. And uh, he is a viewer of our show. Yes, and Terry, what a lot of people don't realize about him is he ran a very popular podcasting network for about 10 years before – podcasts were even popular before everybody mm -hmm. and their brother had one and i met him about 10 years ago and i kept trying to talk him into doing video you got to do video video is the future video is where it's at and now i was busting on him because i was on his show last night um i was like look look it only took me 10 years to talk you into actually doing this with video um but what's cool about terry is he isn't a paranormal researcher he isn't an investigator he just has an authentic interest in it and that's mm -hmm. what caused him to start his podcasting, was to create the opportunities to talk to people like you, talk to people like me, to tell the story. So I think you'll you'll really enjoy talking with him. Yeah, yeah, I really will. I, I, I always appreciate when when people have me on their show. And it's always really like super humbling to me. And that is like that's not false modesty. That's not BS. It 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 always feels good to know that somebody appreciated my work enough to actually want to talk to me yeah i mean i kind of have to talk to i'm forced into it you know what yes. I mean? it's, it's not like y'all can't that is see the, what's off camera here you that know. is the longest gun barrel from the northwest side of <laughs> chicago all the way to north carolina long longest gun barrel well so we're gonna wrap this up guys we we had a great guest tonight next week is a very special show um we're actually bringing. We're actually going to have music for it. <laughs> Go ahead, Brit. <laughs> Sing us a song, piano man. Um, oh no 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 no. <laughs> okay, yeah, we want to. Nobody keep wants guess. to hear that. We want to. Yeah, guess. nobody wants to hear that. Um. Anyways, we we yes we bring on we bring on uh, these people who are involved in the paranormal field. But next week, we're just bringing the average Joe. We're just bringing a person who has been suffering from a haunting for years and right. uh he shared a very interesting photo with rick and i uh maybe a month or so ago 
of this mm-hmm. shadowy entity behind him. It's and, definitely uh, very sinister looking. Yes, and he has been living with this, and he is seeking help. He is seeking answers. He is seeking advice. So next week, we are going to bring him on this show. He's going to tell us his story, tell us about his haunting. We're going to show this picture of this shadow entity and uh, see what Rick and I can do to uh, help this guy out. It's going to be be a really good time, I think. Yeah, definitely going to be a very unique experience, you know, especially when you're trying to help somebody in a situation like that, and you can't physically be there right, in their house. Right, exactly. And, and the cool thing is... Um, where he lives is close to my hometown. Um, mm-hmm. So when I go back to visit, it's something we can later bring back onto this show. I'll probably look into his case. You know, I'll probably do a, a one-off investigation at his house. Um, yeah. And we can share that. You know, it'd be way down the road, but um, it's going to be cool. We're going to have him on next week. So, Rick, with that, talk to him. with that being said, Rick, you got any closing thoughts before we close out? Um, just that, you know, Dale was a great guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually learned from him. Mm-hmm. Um, I am by no means an expert in photography, so I definitely learned a little something from him on that. And so, yeah, thank, thank you so much to Dale and, and uh, thank you, Stephen. And uh, we'll see everybody next week. Yep. Y'all take care. Y'all take care. Y'all. Gee, I've got to get out. I'm from the North, man. And, and the South is just taken over completely. Right. It's taken over. The South will rise again. See, I, Yeehaw. I'm no, possessed. No, that doesn't... I'm possessed. <laughs> Anyways, guys, have a good night. We'll see you all next week. I did it again. Dang it. Oh, no. Hey, you know what? It's better than you know how we say here in Chicago. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs> We're leaving it at that. Take care, guys. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Get with the program, right. Hale. Right. I don't know what the hell. Okay. You know, like last, like last week, man. I, there were so many brain farts on that show. I wanted to just kick myself in the balls repeatedly. After I that. thoroughly enjoyed it. I. I know you did. It was exceptional to me. Fantastic work. No, this is absolutely an animal. We 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 have a squirrel. We call him Fat Steve. No offense. And. <laughs> What the heck?